Go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome to The Green Dot, EA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. I'm Tom Sharpentier, Government Relations Director at EAA and one of your hosts. Across from me? I'm Chris Henry. I'm the Museum Programs Coordinator here and uh, one of your other hosts. And Chris, uh, as, as we record this today, we're on the eve of a very somber anniversary. It's, uh, it's September 10th, 2021, as we record this right now. And uh, you have a, uh, a guest with us that uh, has a very special connection to that terrible day 20 years ago. Well, absolutely, and you know it. Uh, it's interesting, Tom. I, I just kind of just kind of dawned on me that we're both uh, East Coast kids, and uh, uh, the events of uh, 2001 certainly affected the whole country. But uh, certainly, uh, the folks uh, living in our sort of neck of the woods, if you will, uh, were affected by it. And uh, every year, we try to honor that date. We try to honor those that were lost and remember the uh, the events. And we have somebody come every year and speak on September 11th on the date. Uh, and this year, we're very honored to have Lieutenant Richard Noller from the NYPD Aviation Unit here. Um, Lieutenant Noller, thank you so much for being here. We really, really appreciate it. Good afternoon, and thank you, sir. I appreciate it. The honor is all, uh, all mine to be in, uh, in your company. Wow, this is, this is really something else. Uh, we're we're going to talk about the events of 9-11. Um, we're going to talk about what you do with the NYPD. Um, really honored that the NYPD made this trip of yours possible. Uh, we really want to say thank you to them for, for allowing us to, to have you here. Um, but we also want to touch base on, uh, and we really want to start with your aviation career because it really is, I mean, it, it just echoes exactly what EAA is all about. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got started in aviation. Definitely. And uh, this is why I felt like being here was just, uh, a meant to happen kind of event because I uh, I started out back in the uh, early to mid 90s and I was a uh, I, I really didn't have the money to fly you know I was making kind of low wages and uh, I decided the best way to get to the skies was hang gliding so I looked up and found the one uh, hang gliding school that was in a story in New York and I, uh, I wrote my first check to someone who had a very heavy Greek accent because that is a very ethnic Greek neighborhood. And uh, not only did I take hang gliding lessons, but I took basic Greek. And I, uh, I, I learned to speak Greeklish. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you tell me a little bit about the, that first flight you told me about on the way here? It was uh, pretty amazing. Oh. Oh, it was so much fun. We we did most of our training in small hills in Jersey. And uh, one day, my, my instructor, his name is Steve Macrinos, he looked at me and he goes, in a very heavy accent, he goes, dude, I think you are ready for the mountain. <laughs> I go, <laughs> so I look and I go, I go, do you really think I'm ready? We are going to go right now from Jersey. We are going upstate. You are ready to fly. And I'm like... All right, let's do it, right? So we uh, we drive up to Ellenville, New York, where there's a hang gliding club that we all belonged to back in the day. And uh, the club is still there, actually, you know, and it's uh, it's approximately a 1,200-foot cliff launch. And I did all my work on my takeoffs and landings, and I was ready to go. And he duct tapes a crude radio to my glider down tube. And I go, you going to coach me down? He goes, you are good, dude, you are good. So I'm standing there, got to be about 20 minutes, right? And he's, he's nudging me. He goes, dude, it's not going to get any better than this, right? You better go. He goes, just don't look down. So I go, don't look, don't look down. This is a 1,200-foot cliff launch. 
you better get going. (laughs) (laughs) So what do I do? I I take my first steps into aviation and I jump off a 1,200 foot cliff. And what is the first thing I do? I look down. (laughs) Not only do I look down, but I freeze up. And uh, after about maybe a minute and a half that felt like an hour of silence, I hear my friend on the radio, my instructor, go, hey, dude, you are going to the highway. You better turn or you're not going to make it. Right? <laughs> and then I sat there and I go, you know, we worked on takeoff and landing. We never covered turn. <laughs> I went, okay, I guess we're going to learn this in the air right now. Right? So after a couple leans and bends and pulls at a bar, I, uh, I ended up making it. And the, the landing area was a kind of a hay bullseye. And uh, I was on the second ring. And uh, all I heard over the radio was, dude, you are the best. You made it. And I'm kissing the ground. <laughs> and I'm like, if this is aviation, I got the bug. I'm going to do it again and again. <laughs> and uh, turns out he was also an inventor. And uh, he was making uh, uh, glider-powered ultralights that could transition to a, a power motor as well so it was like uh it was called the dual face system you could do both you know and uh i was one of the first to buy one and uh that was my foray into ultralights as well you know and uh eventually just a a buddy of mine called me and said he had gotten his private pilot license you know this was back in 99 and uh his name was mike cilio great guy and he goes i can't find anybody to fly would you would you fly with me and i go why not it's got to be safer than what i'm doing (laughs) you know so uh I took a ride out of Republic Airport in uh, in Long Island, and that's in Farmingdale, and uh, I caught the bug there. and And between uh, me being a rookie sergeant, and uh, and working uh, tons of overtime in Times Square, I would uh, literally take my paychecks and go right to the flight school and uh, put money down and take lesson by lesson. And uh, what what a unique experience it was that the week of nine eleven, I was uh, I had actually taken the week off because I was finishing all my cross countries for my private pilot rating. And what happened was, and this is what was was unique to the event and my tie to aviation was that that morning I was supposed to do a solo cross country from Republic Airport to Stewart. And I was actually supposed to take off at 8.30 in the morning. And if that happened, I would have been in the sky right for the first impact at 8.48 and the subsequent impact, I would have been up in the air as a student solo pilot in the middle of 9-11, you know, on my way to Stewart Air Force, you know, Stewart Airport. And uh, I can only imagine, but there was fog that morning. And this wonderful briefer was like, I'm so sorry, son. Give me a call back in a couple hours. And uh, went back to bed. I heard the phone ring. And uh, somebody called up and said, I, I, think, I think a plane just hit the World Trade Towers. And I kind of laughed it off and said, ah, that could have been me, you know. And uh, I opened my eyes. And back then, we used to still have rabbit ears on TVs. And I had noticed that Channel 4, which was my staple channel, was off the air. And I said, oh, boy. I go, this is, this is bad. I go, I better go to the cable TV. And um, it turns out when I, I turned the cable TV on, I saw the first impact. And uh, it just felt like life changed in, in a flash in a flash and uh, just segueing in you know I I lost my brother-in-law in the uh, in the event and uh, two weeks prior he was very happy to show me his office which was on the I believe it was the 80th floor of the towers he worked for car futures which was right on the canter and I knew his office was I was standing right where the plane 
you know, the first impact in the North Tower. And uh, just everything was just stunned. I knew I had to run, you know, and I had to, number one, I had to get to his wife to make sure she was okay. And I knew I had to get in. So first it was family and then it was job. And, uh, and then it just, you know, set forward the events that, you know, I almost got caught under, under Building 7 later on that day. And uh, it was just surreal. I, I can only describe what, you know, the things I saw that day. And, and uh, you know, we were, we were talking about um, my brother-in-law was actually on a five-year wedding anniversary uh, the week before 9-11. So and they were trying to have a child. And uh, it was funny because he came back and 9-11 was a Tuesday, a glorious Tuesday. And Monday night was just as nice of a night. And I always made a, a point to have dinner with him on a Monday night. And he showed me all of his vacation and, you know, his anniversary pictures and uh, showed me what a great time he had on his vacation. And then Tuesday morning, his wife asked him to stay home one more day. And he had said, you know, I can't. They covered me for a week and a half and I took the Monday off. I have to go in. And he normally went in around 830 in the morning. And by 848, I, I knew I'd lost my brother-in-law. So it was, it was very tragic and surreal. You know, and the events that, you know, just just going down to the site by myself on a motorcycle, you know, being a rookie sergeant, not knowing what's going on in one of the, the worst terror attacks this country has ever seen, you know, and being in the middle of it, you know, it's it's hard to come back to, you know, and it's 20 years. And I could say, you know, we were just talking about how it, it just that week, you know, this week, I'm, I'm generally not the same. I'm just a little removed. You know, I'm sure I just have a, a little lasting, you know, memory of it to try and put it aside. But, you know, I, I think it's it's a great time to come and talk about it on the anniversary. And to do it with your organization, I think, is great because I felt like I have a special connection with the, the EAA as well. So, you know, it's, it's just great to be here. Well, we're, we're really proud and honored to have you here. Thank and, you. And thank you for sharing the 20th anniversary here with us. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, I, um, I certainly don't have anywhere near the personal, tragic personal connection that you do to the event and obviously the, the, the um, you know, being there um, sure. in, in the middle of it. But um, the small little bit that I can offer is I, I remember being, that was my favorite place to go, uh, visiting my aunt in, in Manhattan when I was a kid. Right. And I just remember, the thing I remember the most was looking down on the airplanes going up and down the Hudson. And you know, it's funny you say that because on September 9th, me and uh, and my buddy Mike Cilio, we took a small pipe of Warrior and we took it up the corridor. Yeah. And that was exactly what we said as we passed the towers. Like, isn't it amazing that we look up at the observation tower and like, you know, windows on the world and, and we're flying under it kind of, you know, we were just sitting there looking at it. And it was like a sunset flight. So it was kind of amazing to just look at the towers and, you know, it was always something special to us. You know, and then two days later to have that happen where I would have been on a solo cross country in the middle of 9-11 was just, you know, it, it took me, it actually took me out of the sport for over a year. And, sure. um, and my buddy was like, Richie, it, it's time. You got to come back, you know. And uh, sure enough, about a year later, I came back, finished up my private pilot, uh, subsequently finished up my commercial and, uh, and interviewed as a, a newly promoted lieutenant for the aviation unit. And... And a lot of that is where I am today, you know, just small steps, you know, and experiences that just got me to where I am, you know, and it all started with, you know, jumping off a cliff with a hang glider, <laughs> the, the, the truest form of flight you can find, you know, and I was, uh, I was there, I experienced it, you know, so. We you know. have, um, uh, 
we certainly want to get into talking about uh, the helicopter and what you do with the NYPD aviation. But, um, you know, for a lot of younger listeners who don't know uh, or who maybe don't remember 9-11 quite, you know, as well, can you describe sort of the events after, like like going to the pile and, and things like that? Sure. Well, the pile, and and I'll show you some pictures later on, but the the pile was just a heap of smoldering dust. I mean, when when I was on my motorcycle, you know, going looking for my brother-in-law at the time, you know, everybody was covered in white dust, you know, and we all knew later on that 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 dust was terribly toxic, you know. But riding around, I just noticed that you couldn't find the computer, you couldn't find the chair. You couldn't find a desk. Uh, what you saw was paper and dust. And it was just, um, you know, like sometimes two or three feet deep of just paper and dust. You know, everything, the compression of the building was so strong that it pulverized everything in it. You know, and just, it was just like the building, the, the way it collapsed, just the, the frame kind of stood. And it was just so ominous the way the pile landed and, and the... You know, we lost 343 firefighters. We lost Port Authority police officers, and we lost 23 NYPD members. And the one searing thing in my mind of all the time I spent down there was the emergency alarms that the firefighters wore. And you heard the alarms for weeks. You know, those batteries lasted a long time, and you knew they were under there, and we knew we couldn't get to them physically, you know. And I do remember that, you know, we all held out hope. And it was, it was quite an experience when you would hear somebody on a pile just scream for everyone to just take a moment and be silent. And I could tell you, you could probably hear a pin drop in a 10-block area because everybody was so in tune to trying to find somebody that when somebody mentioned that they might have heard movement or anything, we all just froze. And we were hoping for the best. And then it just, you know, our hopes were dashed when you just saw them carry out another body, you know. And, uh, you know, I remember it. You know, we always honored the bodies that came out. We lined up as they took the bodies out of the, out of the pile, you know, to salute and pay homage to what the sacrifice that they gave, you know, and our members, you know, gave at NYPD because they were triaging people and coming in and out. And, uh, you know, the firefighters went in when everybody else was running the wrong way. So... You know, we honor them every year, and that's one of the reasons why I'm actually on this trip this weekend. Instead of being alone, which I usually would be, I said it's time to share the experience with, with you fine gentlemen and EAA. Well, thank you very much again. We're, we're honored to have you. Thank you. So we want to honor them while, uh, while you're here for sure and honor the memory of all those lost. Um, and then we also want to talk about what it is that you do with the NYPD and the, sure. the aviation unit, which has to be a pretty unique working environment. Yeah, you know, it's it's got its perks. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so working at the aviation unit, I'm, uh, I'm the special operations lieutenant. So we, uh, we generally handle specialized training. Uh, I had mentioned that we have an aerial gunnery program. Uh, our fleet consists of four Bell 429 Global Rangers, uh, state-of-the-art glass cockpits, four-axis autopilot, um, garment 650-750, you know, so it's uh, it's a pretty pretty nice machine, you know, top of the line, you know. So we have four of those. Uh, we have uh, two Bell 412s, you know, they're, they're the workhorses of our, 
our Air Sea Rescue Program, which we, our, our base is the historic Floyd Bennett Field in Brooklyn. And the two Air Sea Rescue ships are staffed by scuba divers 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, the Coast Guard gave us their hangar back in 1998 to move in. We were on the other side, the Flatbush Avenue side. So we went to the, you know, the, the Jamaica Bay hangar. It was a historic World War II hangar. And uh, we took over the role because Coast Guard air assets are only in Atlantic City and Cape Cod, which is a very big swath in between leaves Long Island, New York City, and the surrounding region. So it was our role to cover that. So we go from our base 60 miles, 60 nautical miles in any direction uh, to do air sea rescues. And there's been, you know, several notable ones. Uh, we've had hoist from West Point. Um, you know, our response to Hurricane Sandy, we were pulling people off roofs. You know, we played a very crucial role in Sandy because we, we evacuated our fleet. And, uh, you know, I stayed behind. I can remember, I, you know, I had an office where the waves were cracking on my windows. Jeez. You know, we actually lost, we actually lost half the roof, you know, in the experience, probably took a couple feet of water. And, um, you know, what happened in the Rockaways was tragic, you know, with Breezy Point and, and all the, the flooding and the destruction. And one thing, you know, that we're very proud that we did was, you know, our, our patrol assets were persistently patrolling uh, the Rockaways, and the looting had started. Once they started seeing the helicopters with the night sun and, you know, the, the searchlights, and they knew we had the cameras and everything, a lot of the looting had calmed down once they saw the persistent patrol of the helicopters because they thought we were going to bring the ground assets in and, and, you know, people were going to be mass arrested. So I think we prevented a lot of Sandy looting, you know, in, in that time. But, you know, we're around for presidential details. You know, we always cover uh, all the presidential visits to New York City. Uh, we've been ex involved in some great events like the arrival of the space shuttle that eventually made its way to, uh, you know, the Intrepid, you know, uh, several marathons. I mean, the marathons are great. You know, you have an upwards of 50,000 people running over the Verrazano Bridge. And uh, I think one time we were flying just a little bit too close to the bridge. And we made the New York Times one year. <laughs> I think we might have been blowing runners over. We were so close. <laughs> I, I think I think that year I probably could have dropped off a runner into the race. It was so close. <laughs> so, but after we made the front page of the Times, we, we, it was we got a good laugh out of that one. Like guys, we got to cool it. Yeah. Everybody loves the helicopter, but you got to cool it. So, wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I said, we, we train at, at Fort Dix in New Jersey. You know, we, uh, we, we do uh, tactical delivery with our emergency service unit partners. Uh, we've worked with canine dogs to get them used to the helicopter if we ever have to do that. Uh, there's so many different missions that we do, you know, but air-sea rescue is the most critical, especially on the beaches in summer, which we have a ton of beaches, you know, in a city. So there's always that, that child that gets swept away, in, you know, in, in the riptide, you know, and we can be there at a moment's notice, you know, and also um, air medevac as well. You know, one of our, our biggest hospitals, Staten Island University Hospital, is really only a five or seven minute hop for us. So if we put scuba divers in, get somebody out of the water, five minutes, they're in a, you know, a, a class A trauma center, you know. So we take our jobs very seriously. You know, the counter-terror role continues in these times as well, you know, and we, we have state-of-the-art electro-optical infrared cameras, you know, uh, downlink equipment so that, you know, in any kind of disaster, we can 
transmit the signal to command and control, you know, in, in several enabled locations to, to make sure proper decisions can be made. Yeah, that, that came in handy also for protests and things like that, you know, where the, the persistent aerial coverage, you know, we, we could direct ground troops and make sure that they, you know, they're out there protecting the public the right way. So good stuff. Yeah, so we, we haven't really covered um, uh, law enforcement aviation um, on on the podcast before. So that, okay. that's that's a that's a unique part of aviation that I don't think a lot of people, uh, you know, even in the community, know too much about. Right. One one thing I'm curious about is you had a very unique pathway into the. Um, I, I would imagine a pretty unique pathway into the program, being you know, um, you know formally a, a rank and file law enforcement officer yes, who. Sir you know, got your ratings and, and made it in that way. How, how many people follow that career path versus coming in from outside of law enforcement? Well, it's funny. I think, I th- you know, it kind of changed along the way because we actually, you know, in, in downtimes where pilots after 9-11 might have been getting furloughed, we actually had a, a group of pilots actually become police officers, you know, that felt that they, you know, had the calling and they wanted to get involved. And, you know, we, we have staff now that, you know, we're flying, you know, across to Europe, you know, in, in private jets, you know, part 91 ops or, you know, um, but, you know, in the beginning it was just, you know, the, the kids that had that love of aviation and just really wanted that one break that they dreamed of, you know, and we didn't require them to have rotor experience. You know, it was a commercial fixed rating and, uh, you know, we, we took a look at the whole, the whole picture. You know, because to be a good police aviator, you have to be a good cop. So we didn't want to bring in somebody who was very green with just a couple years on. Uh, we generally would bring in a more seasoned crew because we said, all right, if you're going to be above the you know the scene, you're going to have to be a cop to understand what it's like for me to support you from the sky. You know, so we we took a look at some of the most active cops that had their ratings, and you know you. If you got a good cop, generally you got a good pilot, you know, because he was into his job. He was in there, up there supporting, you know, the troops down below, and uh, he made the most effective use of the equipment, you know, and and the ground guys are always so appreciative, you know, whether it's a protest and and, and we're coming in, you know, everybody hears the helicopter coming, you know, and at times where they know we have that eye, you know, that eye in the sky, the infrared, you know, I could tell you times where, you know, we're, we're in the backyards and... You know, I'm calling out somebody with a weapon that the officer did not see, you know, and and you go home at night and say, hey, you know, that one, I just earned my pay tonight, you know, and, uh, you know, there's times where you'll save a life. And one of the best times I remember was, you know, some of my early days in the unit, uh, we had a call of a, a young female was going to commit suicide. And... We thought she was in the vicinity of Riverside Park in Manhattan by the water. And I'm patrolling probably 3 in the morning exhausted. You know, I worked midnights for a long time. So we take the helicopter up. And, you know, the mother is frantic on the phone. And she's on with our dispatcher. So we're riding around the park. And the dispatcher goes, um, you know, aviation. The mother is frantic, but she just heard a helicopter. And I just turned to my partner and I said, weren't we just in Central Park? So we actually asked the dispatcher, get back on with the mother and make sure that when she hears the helicopter, you call it out quickly. And what we were able to do with the aircraft at four in the morning, 
we'd be able to hold home in on the female with the frantic mother hearing the helicopter and she would say it, it, it just passed by it was really loud and we have our infrared going and it turns out we found a female in a remote part of Central Park and we were able to get our, our Central Park precinct troops there before she might have done something that you know she would have regretted and and uh, that was was very touching back in the day you know to, to go home and say wow you know just saved a life you know and and sandy we saved a lot of lives there were people on roofs there was emergency service cutting roofs to get people out because there was so much water you know so you know it's 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 a good feeling to use these assets to really help the people of the city and the region you know because we're a regional asset we have a lot of grants funded you know drills and things that we do so it's uh it's quite an operation we're we're very proud of it we're very proud of it I used to, I was a medical helicopter dispatcher back in Pittsburgh, yep. and uh, I worked a lot of nights too, so I know uh, how those night shifts are. <laughs> sure. And I, I remember the weirdest thing for me is I would, uh, you know, you'd work a, work some flights, yeah, and then the next day you'd go home and the morning news was on, and where you were or where you dispatch helicopters to uh, was on the news. And you're sure. Like, oh, wow, there's... That's what we did last night. You know, it's on the morning news in the it's morning. It's on the news. So, yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> but those flights at 5 in the morning are tough. Yeah. That's yeah. the sleep Claxon time. goes off at 3. That's uh, a rough uh, When we hear the bells, <laughs> ding dong, patrol. Like, oh, no. I thought I made it. <laughs> I thought I made it. I'm back in. <laughs> Just when I'm out, they brought me back in. So you had mentioned uh, you know, flying around uh, Manhattan and New York City. Mm-hmm. Is there a certain point? Of your flight, is there a certain place that just you just love the view? It's the best place that you like to sightsee or something. You know, it's funny, uh, and I've been I've been uh, kind of kidded by some younger cops, almost to their detriment, that when I fly over Midtown around Times Square, I'll turn to the pilot and go, "This is something special, isn't it?" And the funny thing is, some of these young pilots who I want to, oh, do I want to get them? <laughs> they'll actually preempt me. And as I'm flying over Midtown, they'll go, hey, Lou, this is something special, isn't it? And I'm like, ah, shut up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I go, yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I, I would say Midtown, you know, it's, I have a tradition. I always want to fly on the New Year's. And if it's flyable, you know, Richie's going to be over the ball, you know. And uh, usually my commanding also, you know, he'll jump in as well sometimes, you know, when things are running good and running smooth, which they do now. But, um, you know, we watch the ball drop and you just feel like you're in the center of the world. You know, you're, you're in a hover at 2,000 feet over, over the ball watching the new year. You know, and we're hoping every year that everything is okay, you know, in this heightened terror environment and everything. You know, we're out there, we're always looking, you know, securing the rooftops, protecting that critical infrastructure to make sure that, you know, somebody's not supposed to be there, that we get the troops there to make sure that, you know, because the threats are always out there. You know, we know they are. And, uh, you know, when when we're doing our surveys, we, we do it with the, you know, the utmost intent that, you know, hey, we're out there trying to prevent something here. So... But some of the best things on the job is just, you know, I guess flying next to uh, the Empire State Building like you're King Kong. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you just want to beat your chest and say, I feel like I'm the top of the world. <laughs> you know, so. But uh, and Yankee Stadium during a game, fly by, get the score. <laughs> you know, zoom that camera in. <laughs> so, you know, it's definitely got its perks. So That's awesome. Yeah, it sure is. 
Yeah, and, you, and you mentioned having done the uh, the Hudson Corridor. That was something I got to do when I was uh, when I was learning to fly. Sure. It was uh, yeah, uh, we we're coming out of uh, Fitchburg, Mass, is where I learned. And, nice. Uh, so yeah, just um, right down by the uh, right yeah right down by the um, Tappan Zee, and then down the pa- Palisades. Down, down the Palisades. Yep. Yep. It's a great flight. Take, take a take a left around the Statue of Liberty. It's like you, you get to do this, and yep. it's like. I can't believe I'm allowed to do this right now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's right. You know, passing right over the uh, right right over the the uh, George Washington Bridge. You sure. Know, the, the the towers are, are are not much lower than your landing gear. You know, nope. go go through the go through the middle of it. You know. Yep. <laughs> you know, some of the yeah. coolest things now is you know you might want to bring your helicopter into a hover and look at your reflection on a new Freedom Tower. Oh wow! You know? oh, oh yeah, that's absolutely stunning. You know, but um, you know it's it's special. Every flight is different. You know. And uh, and every flight is great. I wouldn't take one back. Even the bad weather ones where I say, oh, you know. <laughs> like one I I was just, we, we were actually talking in the car, you know. We, we had mentioned that I was hovering over uh, Sully's plane for the Miracle on the Hudson. You know, I was working a late tour, you know, and we had to secure the corridor kind of so that, you know, everybody wasn't coming around for a little look-see. Oh, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> yes, I was, I was hovering around, you know, Sully's plane for quite a few number of hours that night, you know, saying this this really was a miracle, you know. So I, I've had some great experiences, and I wouldn't take any back, you know, even even 9-11, you know, for what it was. Like I was, I was mentioned to you, Chris, you know, for every – for every tragedy, like my brother-in-law, first day back from a, a five-year wedding anniversary trip to, you know, 20 minutes at work, 9-11 goes right right into his window, to, uh, an ex- you know, a, a story where I'd mentioned that, you know, a, a fellow sergeant of mine in my command had mentioned that on Friday his spouse had been promoted and she worked for Cantor Fitzgerald. And she came back on Monday, the 10th of September, to clean out her office and she cleaned everything out, and on Tuesday morning was her first day as a promoted, I guess, supervisor in Jersey City. And she watched the plane go in, wow. you know. So when you hear all the tragic stories, you also hear the stories where, you know, somebody, you know, a firefighter did a mutual where, you know, one went in and, and the one that was off, you know, survived. So for all the tragedies that you hear, there was that guy that went out for a cup of coffee, <laughs> You know, and uh, the amount of people that could have been in those buildings compared to the amount of people that perished, you know, we couldn't we could have been talking about, you know, so many number of people, you know, and and just when, you know, you, know, you think about a higher power, it was just, you know, we, we've had some experiences, too, where you say, wow, that's just too much to be a coincidence. You know, it really is. It really is. So, But it's nice to be here and nice to be talking about it have me be in company with you and, and some fine gentlemen. Absolutely. So. Lieutenant Hernandez said that you were the right guy, and uh, you absolutely are. Thank it, you. This is uh, <laughs> fantastic to be here. And like I said, the reason you're here is for our speaker series, which will uh, take place tomorrow, which will be the 20th anniversary of yes, September sir. 11th. Yes, sir. Um, hard to believe it's been 20 years, that's for sure. It sure is. Yeah. <laughs> starting to feel old. Yeah, I was going to say, at times, you know, starting yeah. to feel old. Same here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, go ahead, Tom. It looks like you have a question. Oh, yeah. Well, I was just going to ask. Um, just on a a much lighter note, are you uh, are you still involved with uh, with general aviation uh, in addition to your job? You know, I would say that the amount of overtime and things that I'm doing in my position right now, there is not much time for general aviation. Fair enough. But on a positive note, you know, having 28 years with the ability to have retired 
eight years ago, I could say that in the near future, I might be back into general aviation. <laughs> so I can't wait to get back. I've missed it, you know, because police flying is one thing, but flying when when you want to go and, and where you want to go is something I haven't had the opportunity to do in a long time, uh, you know. It's, you're so lucky in the Northeast. I mean, there's so there's a lot of great places to fly in a lot of different parts of the country, but I, I, I miss it so much, going out to the islands, going out to, uh, going up north. And you there's know, so as, many great places. As GI pilots, we, we, have to, we have to support our $100 hamburger locations. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I need to do that when I retire. I need to get scrambled eggs in every hundred dollar hamburger place I can find <laughs> to make sure it stays open. This is our tradition. We got to keep these things going, you know, and that's what I love about the museum is the fact that, you know, the traditions have to continue. You know, you need a bunch of people to jump in a plane, you know, no matter what environment we have or, you know, and, and just say, hey, we're getting together. We're going for that burger. Where are you going? Yeah. You know, where are we going today? Well, we're going to Danbury. All right. What about Block Island? How about we do Martha's, you know? Yeah. So those are the good times that you remember. And, you know, it, it's, it's just great memories. And, and GA is, is a big part of that, you know, and it's, it's crucial to keep GA going. You know, I know it's gotten, you know, prohibitive as far as cost and everything, but, you know, we got to come together and find a way that, that this is here for, you know, I, I have an eight-year-old, eight-and-a-half-year-old, you know, I would like to hear he's going for a $100 hamburger one day, you know, so uh, I think we need to keep these traditions going, and the museum is one way to do it. You know, some of the warbirds I just saw, you know, that you have in your collection, you know, uh, uh, things I, I oogled about as a child. <laughs> You know, I, I just sat in the cockpit of, a, you know, a Corsair, yeah. you know, something that my father, you know, would tell me about his, his times on the Forrestal aircraft carrier, you know, and that, that you just made a dream come true for me. That's so odd. that's 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 what we try to do here. Oh, you, know? <laughs> you, you did it for me. And I think my son just he, he just <laughs> he just checked the box on my son's list as well. Well, I will say uh, while we were looking around the collection over at the restoration area, Weeks Hangar. Uh, that the uh, the air cam is something that really really got oh. you excited. Well, like I said, when when my my buddy used to you know make ultralights, eventually you know uh, we would always camp out at, in Lakeland, Florida, at the Sun and Fun. That was our thing. We would drive down. He would pack up his trailer, and you know he'd have his exhibitor passes. He'd hand me one, and uh, and <laughs> he'd point to some you know spot dirt in the ground where he's setting up. And the funny thing was, one day I was camping. And uh, I get up, and I was in a pool of water. You know, I I was like, <laughs> I, I guess I'm in the low lying area because my <laughs> my face was halfway in. You know, the water. <laughs> like, what happened? So I get, and it's one of the best stories of of the sun and fun. So I get out, and I look for my friend with the heavy Greek accent. So he he stretches, and he's drinking his coffee. He goes, "Hey, dude, you almost got killed this morning." I go. <laughs> I'm on the ground. I go, what are you talking about? I almost got killed this morning. He goes, oh, dude. He goes, you put your tent by the by the stream. He goes, there was like an eight-foot alligator. I had to call them to go take the alligator away. I go, you what? He goes, yeah, dude. He goes, that, that was a big alligator. I go, did you ever think to wake me up? Nah, why? He's either going to kill you or you're going to get up like you just did. He goes, but come on, I made you coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but the sound of fun were great times, you know, great memories. And, uh, you know, we were flying in a pattern, watching the ultralights and, uh, you know, the power motors and everything. But the air cam, that was something to watch. 
you know, and uh, I saw you putting one together in the hangar there, and that was my dream plane. You know, the air cam with the the two, you know, nine twelves. That plane I used to watch on the runway, and they would give it a little bit of throttle, and it would do one bounce, and it would take to the sky, and I used to go, someday I gotta have one of these, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and you just brought that bug back in the hangar, so now I'm gonna have to take all my retirement money, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and drop it on an air cam. <laughs> We're gonna have to apologize to your wife in advance. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, she's gonna get you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, while we were over there uh, today, actually, we discovered something interesting about the Cessna 150 that's over there being rebuilt, is that it served in the NYPD. I couldn't Did believe it. it. Really? Yeah, they, uh, the wow. rest of the week's guys uh, yes. were just telling us it was a, I think it was a like a traffic control aircraft uh, that they used over there. No kidding. Yeah. And, and what what did I say, Chris? You were amazed that there was anything left. I was amazed that there was any sheet metal left on this airplane. Because once it's being replaced, yeah. <laughs> once NYPD gets a, hand, a handle on it, that's usually the end of it. But <laughs> but it looked good. It looks like it's got a future. Yeah, it's coming together. <laughs> good stuff, man. Yeah. That's good really stuff. funny. Yep. Oh, so now this is this is really fantastic to have you there here. Is there let me ask you, is there one flight that you had, and maybe it was the one you just answered, but I'll ask this anyway. Is there one mission that you flew that at the end of it, you know, that just stands out for you after all these years? You know, I think that story I just told you, you know, the fact that you saved a life. But to be on, you know, to to be doing the job every day, and, you know, there there was also one where I remember that I had to go get um, – you know, slain cops family, you know, because every now and then, you know, we will lose an MOS in the line of duty. And when it happens, the first thing we all think of is the family, you know, and we have the ability to get family, you know, faster than any highway car can do. So once we hear it happen, we almost go into a mode that, you know, it's, it's just strictly business. Where's the family? Where's the LZ? We got to get there. Fuel, time, you know, how do we get them back? You know, who's coming, you know? So there are times that we all come together as a family. And I can honestly say every time something like that happens, we go into a, a almost a special mode, you know? And, and usually the, the capstone comes with our flyovers, you know, and I remember being part of sometimes a 15 or 16 helicopter flyover, you know, over St. Patrick's Cathedral in terrible conditions, wind whipping through the buildings, you know, crabbing the helicopter 30 degrees in a formation where you're a blade and a half apart from the helicopter next to you. You know, flying with outside agencies and saying, wow, I, I hope he's proficient as we are, you know, <laughs> otherwise we're the next funeral going down, you yeah. know, but, but uh, I, I think it's it's those funerals and times that, you know, when 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 a funeral hears, you know, we, we try to time our our funeral processions uh, with the blowing of taps. And as the trumpeter goes to the end of taps is where we have to time perfectly the sound of the helicopter because what it means to the family to hear that helicopter coming it's it's very emotional time i mean there's so much going on there's so much sorrow um it's so somber it's so quiet but when we come through for the family it's like wow they're here you know and it's just like wow they they called out everybody 
you know, when the family sees 8, 10, 15 helicopters coming by, it's almost like a religious experience. It's, it's the rumble, you know, the power and the togetherness of, say, eight to 10,000 police officers from all over the country coming in just to support the family. That means so much to us, and it's, it's honor, it's tradition, it's, it's what we do, you know, and uh, we'd have it no other way. It's, it's you know, all, all stops are out, you know. Get everybody, notify everybody who's coming. State police, Nassau, Suffolk, you know, Westchester, everybody's coming. So very important to us. So when they say that there is a you know a brotherhood among police officers and firefighters, I mean that's that's certainly what you're speaking of. You you sure. agree with that? And you know what's funny? I can tell you just a, a, a quick story. We do a uh, a quarterly high rise rescue drill. We haven't done it in a while because COVID affected some some training. But I usually run the high rise training drill, and uh, what we do is we try to familiarize firefighters that if I have to put them on the top of a building, I want them to be able to enter the helicopter properly, not with the big picks and everything and hit the blades, you know. So we get them familiar, but the first thing I do is when I have all of us together, I say thank you to the firefighters because they actually have our flags painted on their rigs now. And there always used to be an old animosity between the two, you know, and I always say, hey, you know, above all, we're we're brothers in blue. And you always see the heads nod, you know. And every now and then I get a firefighter take me aside and say, hey, you know, thank you, you know. And, uh, and, and it means a lot to me that we can say, hey, we're, we're brothers in blue. There's one fight. There's not a fight amongst each other. You know, we're brothers in this fight. It's, you know, it's the red line. It's the blue line, you know, and, and we're both fighting the same fight. So, and I think, I think after 9-11 that brought a lot of us together where there used to be that little petty animosity and say, hey, there's a bigger picture here, you know, and we're in this together, you know. So we get along like peas and carrots now. <laughs> some some good came out of tragedy. It did. There, there's there's a lot of good that came out of tragedy, you know. So. Well, I think we are pushing the clock here. Okay. I don't uh, I don't want to work you too hard. I get accused of uh, starving people sometimes. So, <laughs> um, again, we we just can't say thank you enough for for being here uh, on the, what's going to be the 20th anniversary of, of 9-11. Uh, and it's a great way for us to help, uh, you know, educate uh, younger generations. Sure. It's amazing, you know, that it's been 20 years. We have people out of high school who weren't alive when it happened. Right. So, um, Oof, it, yeah, I know, I know it Thanks, does. Man. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it was a shock to me, too. So, sure was. Um, but, uh, again, thank you so much for taking the time away from New York City to be here and be with us and bring your family. Thank you. And uh, hope you enjoy Oshkosh uh, in Wisconsin. And uh, Fell in love with it already. Uh, that, that means a lot to hear. And like I said, with, with the background and the way things came together, I, I don't think I'd be any other place on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 than than with you and your, you know, your, your association and the pilots that I hope to talk to tomorrow and get to know so that we carry these traditions on and that everybody remembers and nobody forgets. So, Well, that, that's high praise. Thank you, sir. You I, again, I want to say a thank you to uh, both Lieutenant Hernandez and the NYPD for, for allowing your visit to happen here. And um, 
for all those who listen, uh, hope eventually you could too, you too can actually get to a speaker series in person. But I know a lot of you are listening from far off abroad. Uh, but uh, for those who support the, the podcast, we just like to say thank you. Uh, your comments uh, and feedback really mean a lot to us. If you haven't left comments or feedback, please consider doing so. Uh, again, it really helps us uh, kind of gauge how we're going to continue on with the show and what you know bring you the programming that you'd like to see. So, um, on behalf of Tom and I uh, uh, and Hal, who is off uh, elsewhere today, we just want to say thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time when we're cleared to land on the Green Dot.